Um, okay, I'm recording on my end. And I think we're we're at least at the point where we have technically gotten a podcast show ready to go. <laughs> Everyone's recording. Everything says good. You ready? Yeah. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Securities, a podcast and newsletter devoted to science, technology, finance, and the human condition. I'm your host, Danny Crichton, and today we're talking about the mid-market industrial base for defense in the United States. Over the last year, we've seen in Ukraine and all around the world an increasing need for the United States to be engaged in conflicts that are, are increasing in, in the 2020s. And unfortunately, over the last two decades, we've seen a huge narrowing of the number of companies that are able to produce uh, the defense technologies that the United States needs to project power overseas. And so we thought, how do we go and solve this problem? And one part of it is is getting more capital to the companies outside of the biggest primes uh, and making sure they have the resources they need to get growing and building. And so today we're bringing together two folks to talk more about this industrial base and how those companies are getting funded. First is Hondo, uh, and second is Steve Carpenter, CEO and founder of Thematic. Thank you so much for joining us. Awesome Great to be here. So, so Honda, I'm going to start with you. You've been a longtime executive in the in the Pentagon, and most recently the head of naval procurement, which I believe is a couple dollar budget of buying aircraft carriers, planes, and and all kinds of other hardware. Why don't you kind of give us a lay of the land of where hardware and and acquisitions looks like for the Pentagon's perspective today? Yeah, it it, uh, it certainly was a uh, about a four hundred and forty eight billion dollar a year enterprise. Uh, so just the uh, just a few things and everything from submarines to airplanes to, you know, everything in between. You know, this topic is, is really important. And I think for Americans, they may not have realized how important it was until you see what's going on in Ukraine and you understand uh, the importance of having a, a robust, resilient industrial base, or I, I like to call it industrial network. And I think over the years, we got in this mindset that we could separate national security from national prosperity. And so we find ourselves in this challenge of what I would call a uh, industrial base that's kind of like World War II plus 4%. It's been merging, it's been consolidating, it's been efficient, but it's fragile and brittle. And unfortunately, as the world gets more and more dynamic, these trends are probably not going in the right direction. As the head weapons buyer, whether it's at Special Ops or for the Navy and the Marine Corps, I began getting very concerned that we weren't leveraging all the capability we had as a nation to keep us both safe and prosperous going forward. And so I think over the last couple of years, the realization that that challenge is out there has become more and more widespread. And so now it's uh, all of our duties to figure out how to kind of reverse those trends and leverage all that we have uh, available in the country to again, both uh, support us economically and uh, from a national security perspective. Well, and of course, we had a very resilient industrial base throughout the Cold War. You know, there was this pressure from the USSR to make sure that, you know, we were fully up to date. We had a lot of options. Uh, it was diffuse all across the country in, in a way to sort of prevent nuclear war from knocking out any Pacific part of the industrial base for defense. And then we had the 1990s with the peace dividend. So the idea of cutting back Pentagon procurement intelligence. Um, and I think we're coming swinging back all the way uh, the other side now, which is, you know, 20 years later, that peace dividend, we're sort of realizing hollowed out a lot of, and not maybe at the top of the largest and most advanced and edge equipment, but that kind of mid-market, all the core technology that kind of underpins all of the operations and logistics overseas. The trends are actually pretty disturbing. And everybody talks about the 90s where we certainly had consolidation, but actually 
you know, I looked at the numbers over the last 10 years, DOD spend is up 23%. Even at the number of small businesses involved in the DOD is down 43%. And even at large businesses, it's down 7%. And we've completely lost the middle of the industrial base. As we get in this world situation, which requires, you know, manufacturing capability and being able to agilely transition and bring new products and technologies in, we find a larger and larger budget going to a smaller and smaller number of performers. And, and that's a disturbing trend uh, for me personally, and I think for all of us uh, as a nation. And how much is that, uh, those, those trends driven by, you know, large projects like uh, the Gerald R. Ford aircraft carrier, or the F-35, um, are those sort of driving that kind of consolidation? Now, I think one of our challenges in, in the article I wrote with Joe Votel talks about this. We still have an industrial age mindset. And in the industrial age, right, in World War II, it was come up with a design, freeze the design, spend a year or two building the tooling, set up a manufacturing production line, and then build the thing. Uh, and that's kind of not how the world's working these days. Where commercial has gone to network thinking and as a service thinking and much more dynamic, even in some hardware manufacturing elements, we still think of you know, big capital projects and a very industrial mindset. We develop a program and then we decide to produce a program. And hey, listen, we're still gonna need industrial capacity. And as a nation, we lost a lot of that manufacturing uh, overseas and we've got to rebuild that. But we've also got to figure out how to bring in all of this new thinking that has caused this explosive growth in the more commercially developed technologies. Well, I mean, one of the things that was disturbing to me, I, I mentioned it in the securities newsletter a couple of weeks ago, Alex Vershinen, who was writing a commentary for the Royal United Services Institute, a very prominent uh, military think tank in the UK, was looking at the stockpiles of, of weapons, specifically Javelin missiles going to Ukraine. And, and the US government is backing Ukraine. It is get, delivering arms and other support to the government there. And we found out that Lockheed Martin produces about 2,100 missiles a year, uh, could ramp up to about 4,000. And according to some estimates, Ukraine was firing more than 500 a day. And so you're looking at this huge gap between what the needs are in the world, whether it's for the United States or its allies, versus the actual production capacity of a lot of these factories going on today. Yeah. And I think, you know, listen, America loves, and particularly American military, loves technology and complexity. We love to make the most exquisite things in the world. And we make exquisite products. But at some point, quantity matters also. And I think you're also going to see us relearning the lessons of, you know, the exquisite thing that can do everything, but you only have two of may not be what you need, particularly in some of these protracted or short time crises, right? So, you know, there, Norm Augustine talked a lot about this consolidation eventually we'll have, you know, we'll consolidate from thousands of airplanes to one Death Star, and then some <laughs> with two bombs will drop it down to missile tube and we're done. And so... You know, we are relearning, I think, some of the lessons of the value of simplicity. Well, I think the DoD has done, a, you know, they have a lot of initiatives trying to go out to, to startups. You know, in the intelligence community of Incutel is trying to invest in a bunch of startups, get uh, contracts going in. On the DoD side, you have a bunch of different programs trying to get startups through the gauntlet there. But there's sort of two problems in my view. One is sort of getting those programs of record, getting into the kind of procurement flow. And the other one, which I want to focus on today, is sort of this capitalization problem, which is most VCs don't want to invest in the defense sector. Most people are looking at a, an oligopolistic market in which there are only a couple of buyers for these companies. And so if you build a defense tech company, you go to Raytheon, you go to Northrop Grumman, 
there are only a couple of options of where to go. And, and because of the kind of government procurement cycle, these companies do not have a lot of good multiples. They don't have a lot of leverage, similar to banks. In the fintech world, if you're Plaid, it's very hard to sell to Goldman Sachs because you have a maybe 50 or 100 revenue multiple. Goldman Sachs is much lower than that. And so they just don't have the ability to buy you. And so that gets to, I, I think, this part for, for Steve. You know, I, w- I want to talk about why we need to sort of shift the way we're, we're capitalizing defense tech companies. Because right now it seems overweighted to the largest primes and massively underweighted to those kind of mid-market defense companies that are being innovative and nimble for, for solving a lot of America's problems. In order to, to accomplish, I think the goals of what Hondo is talking about in terms of um, national defense and security, you're by definition going to have to leverage a lot of the new technologies in order for those technologies to be deployed not only will they be sort of a traditional top-down enterprise buy, which I think is what Hondo used to see within the military, now they have to be a much more bottoms-up, product market-led, where there's an actual specific use case that the defense industry can actually go out and procure. Well, I think what you're seeing this this dual-use category, right, which is in the commercial world, particularly, let's say, cyber uh, is a great example. You know, cyber attacks can target military websites and, and military infrastructure, but they can also target large companies. I mean, just as we were kind of recording the show this weekend, the L.A. public school district, one of the largest, I think the second largest after New York, has had a massive cyber attack. Literally hundreds of thousands of students are not able to go to school. It's the first week of school. They they have no access to grades. You know, this weekend as well, the Japanese government lost several websites from a pro-Russian hacking group. And so it, it's one of these things where it, it can be government agencies, it can be commercial, but we all kind of need the same products. It, it, and, and that was something that's very different than the old defense world where there's only one buyer for a, a Gerald R. Ford aircraft carrier and it's Hondo. The shifting of the front lines is not on the battlefield. That's not the first place, you know, the front lines have shifted. So I, like I said, this notion that we could separate national security, okay, it's a military problem, national prosperity, okay, that's a, you know, that's a Wall Street, Silicon Valley problem. They're, they're now kind of inextricably linked. And I think Steve brings a great point up, you know, even in what you would consider a very old school, capital intensive driven thing like a shipyard, you're going to see massive transformation if done right in the use of digital tools and the use of robotics. So again, separating, okay, well, that's a, you know, that's a Silicon Valley software company and this is a, you know, 200 year old shipyard. If we're still thinking like that, you know, years to come, then we are going to fail. Absolutely. So that, that, that gets back to the capitalization problem. So obviously there are dozens of new companies that are coming up um, that want to go and, and change this world to be nimble and, and rebuild the industrial base. Um, but they have, I, in my view, a huge problem, which is no one knows what these companies are, who they are, what they do. They don't have names that are popular brand names. You know, they're not a consumer app that you're going to install on your phone. And so they're never going to have that like meme stock feel of Bed Bath & Beyond and AMC. Um, no one's ever heard of, you know, CrowdStrike uh, popularly or whatever the case may be. And so that gets us to the, the index problem, which is how do I, you know, let's say I, I believe in this industrial base theory uh, and thesis. I, I believe it's going to grow. Um, the front lines are shifting. We're going to have to play in multiple theaters. Uh, and that means I want to put, you know, some of my assets, whether retirement or personal uh, investment assets towards that. How do I go invest in that? And, and Steve, it sounds like you have a, a bit of a solution to that problem. We do. At Thematic, we allow industry experts like Hondo to express their view of the market by creating very easily a basket of securities that in this case represent the next wave of security and technology for the United States. Uh, Hondo is clearly an expert in all things security and defense. 
he doesn't need to be an expert in how to create a stock index to express that view of the market. And so we partnered with Hondo and the team at Lux to create the next generation of the, the Lux security and technology index. So we're able to create a way for the public markets to track and then ultimately invest um, rather than in these legacy four or five companies that have been referenced, uh, a much broader basket of, um, in this case, 60 public companies that include CrowdStrike and Okta and Cloudflare and Ping and the, the next generation of companies that provide products and services that cover all of the different use cases that Hondo is referencing. I think sometimes we think of this as an all or nothing affair. You know, it's either all startups or it's all prime contractors. All I mean, again, the DoD is a you know eight hundred billion dollar a year enterprise, and an enterprise that you know is not going to boom or bust. The interesting thing about Uncle Sam is when things get bad, it orders more. I think what's intriguing to me about an index like this is it it also recognizes it's not an all or none. It's not just all heavily weighted on. The startup side or the mid-market side or the or the high-end big prime side. And so it really, I think, is a unique way to get a market perspective and understand the macro trends in that market sector as well as the full range of players that are impacting that sector. Well, I think, I mean, this is one of the, the theses for thematic of building these sort of unique indices because I'm looking at iShares, uh, the BlackRock ETF market, and I'm looking specifically at the iShares U.S. Aerospace and Defense ETF, one of the popular ones in the defense category. And if you look at the weighting of the companies here, so Raytheon, 20.67%, Lockheed Martin, 16.06%, Boeing, 7%, Northrop Grumman, almost 5%. Um, you're seeing like just the primes themselves are almost majority of the ETF itself. So you're, you're if you invest in the, the iShares Aerospace and Defense ETF, you know, all that money is getting placed in a couple of companies, which are obviously the prime ones, but that's where it's balanced or biased maybe towards the past as opposed to the future. You know, it's going to, to these sort of legacy prime contractors, which are obviously going to remain important, but you're not sort of getting that growth from a bunch of new companies and all these new uh, multi-theaters where, you know, more investment should be made in order to create better defense. When we were uh, working with Hondo, we were specifically looking at a index that was much more broadly weighted, focused on the U.S., and gave as much credit to companies that are in space, like uh, Planet Labs, doing our infrastructure and security, you know, like a Cloudflare, CrowdStrike, Palantir. Those are companies that are just not going to be represented in the old, traditional, uh, much more heavily weighted indices and ETFs that you reference. Well, interestingly, there's only 40 components. Uh, to this one, which I think is also kind of this narrow view of there's only a couple of companies that matter. They're the big industrial base, they have large factories and large shipyards, uh, and that's sort of the extent of defense. And I, I think when we, we think of even just the securities, I mean, look at the name of the show, but we think about the definition of securities. I mean, we're, we're talking about space, cyber, oceans, you know, both land and sea and air. You're also talking about new like networks where we've never actually had to deal with this before or, or cryptocurrencies where all of a sudden ransomware was empowered by this whole group of, of new technologies that came out of the last couple of years in blockchain and cryptocurrencies. And now there's a whole wave of companies that are trying to defend against those as well. One of the challenges in the DOD is it's the largest research and development budget in the history of the DOD. I actually think that's a fail because there are plenty of ways, as you say, this index will help illuminate 
the funding, the capitalization on the front end, what the DOD needs to do is buy. It needs to, it needs to get on the buying side of things and not squander precious resources, redeveloping what's already being developed in commercial markets or what could be developed in venture-based startups if they had confidence in the buy side of the market. And so I think this will also potentially help illuminate some of the, the trends going on for DOD decision makers. They can see where should they, you know, where should they make their strategic investments uh, and how do they better procure things more quickly to get them in the field to make a difference. Also help fuel the industrial base. You know, this fund may will help prime it, but it's got to be self-sustaining. And, and so I think that's what's also going to be interesting. Well, and you and I, uh, Hondo, have talked about whether there's a valley of death for a lot of startups in the defense world. And I'm curious whether you still believe that there's no valley of death. If I recall your, your view is that there is actually like no way, you know, the, 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 pro, the focus on the program of record is, is too much in, in Silicon Valley. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful there's a growing trend of shifting from talking of program of record to capability of need. And so I think the government's got to get much more. Here are the capabilities I need, not here's the program specific thing. And again, again, it's a big DOD market. In the Navy, we would write 240,000 contracts a year. So, I mean, there's there's going to be some of each, but I think I think that's interesting. You know, if you look at Ukraine, you're seeing where commercially available, commercially developed technologies are having significant impacts on the battlefield. And I think that's also illuminating the opportunity in front of us that if we can figure out how to get these two communities to put strength against each other's weakness, right? And so now we're, we've got strength on strength. That's how you're going to beat a China centrally planned kind of economy. Right? You know, we don't want to try and out-China China, right? We want to leverage the inherent strengths we have in our democracy and our financial marketplace and our dynamic workforce. We've just got to figure out a way to connect the two ends uh, so that we can do that. And, and again, just thinking about five or six primes is not the way we're going to do it. They're an important player. They're going to be an important player, but they're not the only players in this ecosystem if we're going to succeed. So I thought um, you brought up a good point for, from both of you. Feels like as the risk assessment uh, goes broader with software and the capabilities that are out there, it feels like the DOD can take more risks in terms of the applications and the software that it deploys. We talked about a nuclear submarine. I thought very differently about what was wet than what was dry. And, you know, on the nuclear reactor and on the hull, you know, that's not where we're going to take risk and change every three months. But the AI algorithm on the acoustic sensors, trying to find targets, I could absolutely change those every three months. And in fact, the Navy's starting down that path. So we've got this idea of differentiating product differentiation, and it's not just all or nothing, uh, I think is really important. If we can get that concept working, we'll open up much more of the marketplace to leverage where we've got very high, high speed, highly dynamic performers.
What I, I love this frame around uh, capabilities. It's actually a piece I wrote that was actually one of my most popular pieces seven, eight months ago, which was around we invest in capabilities at Lux. And you mentioned Planet Labs. And I think of that as like a, a canonical example of, you know, huge commercial opportunities when you can you know, use satellites to scan the earth. Um, you can use it for insurance. There's a bunch of different industries that needs the data. But then we just saw on the front page of the New York Times, I believe this weekend, evidence around Ukraine focused on the nuclear power plant there that's under attack and being shelled by both Russians and Ukrainians. And so you, you have these capabilities where it's like it can be used in both cases. Um, it, it's used for different modalities. I mean, it allows for iteration because you're learning from both the commercial sector and the defense sector simultaneously. They make both better. Um, and Steve, I believe that is a component of the index. Absolutely. So you mentioned at the beginning of our discussion about funding and growth. I think Hondo made a, a reference to the old primes are just very, very slow growers, you know, in the, in the 4%. So as we were talking, I just pulled up the um, Lux Security and Tech Index and I just sorted by enterprise value to revenue. And there are some very fast growing and, and quite valuable companies that in traditional, you know, the traditional lens, well, one, they're not, they would not be deployed by defense because they would never have passed you know, all of the different loopholes in the budgetary constraints, but now they can be, and they can be deployed fairly quickly because it's software and different hardware components. So these are all of the different kinds of businesses that are getting access to those budgets and that never had the opportunity before. It's quite amazing. Actually, well, I think it's also a sign that the Pentagon is getting serious about software because I, I think software has been the Trojan horse to change a lot of this thinking around the industrial era. You know, you, it's lo so long as you can build it, it's still going to go into a factory. It's still going to have that perception of like you got to build the, the core base, you got to build a, a piece of hardware and then launch a piece of hardware. But it doesn't apply to software where, where there's much more of a flexibility around uh, patching, regular updates which doesn't apply to an aircraft carrier. You know, you're not, uh, as Honda just pointed out with nuclear submarines, you're not every three months uh, updating the hull based on new technology. You're sort of locking it in for a, a program that might last decades in some cases. And so to me, it just shows that we have multiple modalities of way of thinking. And ultimately that like, makes a lot of sense, right? Different types of technologies need different ways of procurement, different ways of thinking about it, different metrics of success. In some cases, you're going to see a lot more, you know, commercially, whatever it's called, GoGo, GoCo, Kogo, uh, Honda knows the acronyms. I, I'm so bad with acronyms. I try to avoid them. My, my goal in this whole podcast is not to use a single acronym. So, <laughs> I'm guilty. You, you failed. You failed. <laughs> um, one thing, if I could build on your comment, Danny, I don't want to make this all just because the Pentagon has certainly got is you know suddenly enlightened or something. Quite frankly, what's what's really fascinating and gives me a sense of optimism are both the interest from um, large commercial players who are really focused on how do we bring the power of this marketplace to help the country and those folks serving the country. And then I would say the growing number of Americans that feel deeply uh, you know, concerned about our national security and wanna be part of a player to change it. And so what's, what's interesting to me is now we're seeing you know, five years ago, that was not the feeling, certainly not the feeling out in the valley was, you know, and so now you've kind of seen a little bit of this awakening and everybody wants to do good. We've just got to figure out the mechanisms to allow folks to do good. But it's happening and it's happening at the Pentagon. It's happening, you know, at the coffee house there in Palo Alto. It's happening in New York City. We've just got to create this connective tissue and ways to facilitate the good work that I think everybody really wants to go off and do. I, I think that's an amazing place to stop. 
Pondo, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Super appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Since we talked about ETFs and public stock trading, let's remind everyone that all investments are risky and nothing in this episode should be construed as an endorsement of any specific product for any individual listener. Always do your own research.